Hi, I'm Lara Bennett, and you're listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Cassell. Neil was a gifted singer, songwriter, musician, and friend to many. He released 14 albums as a solo artist and collaborated on countless projects with other musicians. After his passing in 2019, his friends and family created the Neil Cassell Music Foundation to provide instruments and music lessons to students in New York and New Jersey, and to support organizations that offer musicians mental health care. One of the featured projects of the newly formed foundation is the tribute album, Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell, a sprawling 41-song collection bringing together a galaxy of rock and roots luminaries. We've asked the contributing musicians to share their memories of Neil and their stories of making the record. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Cassell is out on November 12th. Pre-order the album and learn more about the Neil Cassell Music Foundation at neilcassellmusicfoundation.org. Hello and welcome to Highway Butterfly, the Stories of Neil Cassell podcast. I'm Gary Waldman. I'll be your guest host for today's episode with two of Neil's great friends and bandmates, John Grayboff and Brad Pemberton. They were, of course, together with Neil and Ryan Adams in the Cardinals from 2005 to 2009, toured all over the world, made quite a few records, and had lots of good times. And we chatted a little bit about that and a little bit about Highway Butterfly, the album. Brad is only on one track, but it's a great one. The title track with Steve Earle, Highway Butterfly. And John Graboff is on 16 or 17 songs. We've lost count which is amazing. And this episode was recorded a few months back, so it was before the record came out. So there's a few things that are a little out of date, but it's a very entertaining conversation. So here we go. So welcome today. We've got uh, John Grayboff and Brad Pemberton, Neil's old bandmates from Ryan Adams and the Cardinals. John also played with Neil on many solo out records and some side projects and various things. I, I Brad, you, you might have done some of that as well, too. Was it all Ryan Adams and the Cardinals with Neil and you, or was there um, other things? Well, there was Jen Wigmore that we oh, did yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. after the post-Cardinals. And let's see, it seemed like there was, may have been something else. I, hell, I can't remember at this point, but the Jen Wigmore thing, I definitely, and we did the tour with her as well. Yeah. yeah. Neil. Yeah, that was with Jen Wigmore, uh, artist from New Zealand. Yeah. You guys yeah. made a record backing her up. And then toured with her. I know you toured in the U.S. opening for Citizen Cope and some other shows. Did you tour in, in, overseas, New Zealand? Yeah, we did. We did Australia and New Zealand with her. Yeah, and that's. I think John may have done some later than that, but that's all that I did because I was out. Uh, with oh yeah, you know, and actually the, the New Zealand and, and Australia one was with Tony Mason because you couldn't do it. Right, and Jeff Hill was playing. And Jeff Bates, Hill, yeah, who is now a Duke. Exactly, Earl. Exactly. It's a small world. It in is. Our, in it our really world. Is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. It all uh, back around. Yeah. Brad, you started playing with Ryan Adams 2001, 2002? Uh, yeah, I actually met him. It was like 99 when he was living here in Nashville. And uh, I was doing a gig, Billy Mercer and I, at 12th and Porter. And Billy had hung out with him a little bit already. And so he came... After he was at the show, I didn't realize it. Then after I didn't know him, 
And then after the show, Billy said, Hey man, Ryan Adams wants to meet you. I'm like, cool. Who's Ryan Adams? Whiskey you know, <laughs> town guy. I'm like, okay. I've seen the, the, the band, the flyers because iodine toured to those same, uh, same clubs that whiskey town did in the night. Yeah. So I was like, that's a horrible name. But, <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. So we met and hung out and sort of went from there, but yeah, it was, Oh, one after gold came out that we really, you know, hit it hard and then did that for a couple of years. He fired us the whole band, got a new band about a year later, hired me back. And that's when the Cardinals began. Was uh, Chris with you when you first started playing with him? Oh, you guys got hired together. Well, Chris Feinstein. Feinstein. No, no, uh, no, it's Billy Mercer. But but Chris was in iodine, right? Chris was in iodine, yeah. Yeah, but he was he didn't enter the Cardinals till uh, Catherine left. So Brad, Brad, just yeah. clarification. Pink Hearts was the first Nashville based band, right? Yes. And then when you say he fired everybody before the Cardinals, what what was that configuration? That was the rock and roll tour. Oh right, right, right. Brad Does that band have a that band have a name? I don't know. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of like weird. Uh, there wasn't weird. enough time for that for that band to exist. Well, I mean, the pink cards right? were also called LAX for like thirty days, and then <laughs> uh, Sweetheart Revolution. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was that band with Bucky, Dan Eisenberg, Brad Rice, Billy, and myself. Yeah. Right, right. Mickey Baxter, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I play. I opened, I played with Paul Birch at, at Irving Plaza for you guys. I remember um, that show. Elton John played that show. Yes. If I'm yes. not mistaken. I mean, here's the crazy thing is that I couldn't take my gear out until yeah, the yeah. whole night was over. We played for and like. You all did five encores. <laughs> and the last encore were with full house lights and people leaving, and he still came out and played yep. another encore. And I was pissed. I don't want to go home. <laughs> and you didn't probably didn't get your late night New York pizza that night either. No, no. By the time we rolled out of there, it was really late, and I was tired and exhausted. And we got kicked out of our dressing room because they wanted to do a photo thing with Elton John. Yeah. I remember Frank Kalari came in, looked at us sitting in our dressing room, says, Hey guys, can you get out of here for a few minutes? We need to take some pictures. And we're looking at like, what do we chop liver? And I guess the answer was yes. Yeah. <laughs> you were. So when did the Cardinals first what's your first memories of the Cardinals playing as? Hey, we're the Cardinals. So I got a call from his business manager seeing if I was available to do some shows. She didn't say who it was for like the first five minutes of the conversation. And I was getting married September 12th of 04. And so he, I got this call in like late July, early August, you know, six, seven weeks out from my wedding to see if I could do these shows. It was a, it was a festival in Spain. It was the, the one in Bilbao. Oh yeah. The hell is that called? Something yeah. sound. Yeah. Can't remember. So we, re we rehearsed in New York, like maybe two weeks after I got the call for probably, you know, a week. And that's when I met Catherine, Cindy Cash Dollar, JP. And yeah. I guess, was that it? That was it, right? Yeah, it was me and Ryan, yeah. So, you know, new people, new vibe, feeling everybody out. Robbie Willard, guitar tech, was, aside from Ryan, the only other 
face I knew, you know. So anyways, two weeks later, three weeks later, we flew to Spain, did the show. It was September 11th there because we played at like one in the morning. And uh, immediately after the show, <clears throat> I got a cab to Madrid, flew home, got in the evening of the 11th here in Nashville, got married the next morning <laughs> on the 12th, and then flew out to uh, the ne very next morning, the 13th, to Columbia, Missouri. And at the airport, I met uh, Olabelf people, folks, uh -huh. Amy and uh, Tony. So, yeah, that was the first memory of that. But then, so we did Cold Roses, Cindy left, Hey Brad, I got a quick question for you. Man. What was the, what, when you went to, did the festival in Spain? What, were you playing material that was going to be called Roses, or did you know any of that stuff yet? Yeah, I, I would love to see a set list from that show because I don't. I, I mean, yeah, I'm sure some of that was because we did the re record, you know, a month or started it a month or so later. So right. yeah, probably. But I need to look and see if there's a set list out there for that show. Oh, I'm sure there is. It'd be interesting. To <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Prima, New York Halls played afters. That was great. Primavera sound is that what it was? In Bilbao sounds sounds right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was uh, a blur. It was the whole experience was a blur. And then two weeks later, we Martin and I had our uh, honeymoon, which we had to move for him. <laughs> first, first of many times you moved things to accommodate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple. Well, John came in when Cindy left. And that's when I met John for the first time. Yeah. Well, you know, I got a call from Joe McGinty, who played piano on Jacksonville City Nights, said, hey, what are you doing? It gave me a string of a day, like a week's worth of dates. I said, um, I said, why? He goes, well, Ryan Adams is looking for a steel player because he's doing some recording down at Loho Studio. And I said, well, I can make the first two days, but the next three days I got to not be there because I'm producing this Amy Rigby record mm -hmm. and you're on it. So you can't bail on me either. <laughs> so he said, well, I, here's my advice. I'd come down, stake out your real estate, play those first two nights. You'll know right away if he wants you to come back or not. Right. And so I came down. That's when I met Brad, but Brad and I had a bunch of mutual friends down in Nashville already. So we, yeah. clicked, we clicked right away. It was now, shocking that we hadn't met. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I remember mentioning mentioning Pete Finney, and you said, "Oh, he's he's a steel player in my wife's band." I mean, yeah. immediate connection with all sorts of like-minded people. Yeah. So we connect. We 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 hooked together pretty quick. Yeah. So I did those first two nights in the studio, and at the end of that second night, Ryan comes up to me. He says, "Hey, man, you know, I can't believe you can't be here." And I said, "Man, I, if I wasn't producing the record, I could probably bail on it, but I'm, you know, I'm a man of responsibility, so I can't do that." And he said, well, come back, you know, as soon as you can. So I came back and I'm trying to remember, I think the first day that I came back was one of those nights where he stayed there all night by himself and recorded some stuff. Mm -hmm. And we got in and said, oh, Ryan's not going to be here, but he had asked you to add some stuff. And uh, I think, um, shoot, I can't even remember which tunes it was, but it was, it worked out pretty well. I mean, I remember Catherine and I had to add something to one song and you know, Brad, you know, when he's playing by himself, his time is uh, loose. You know, right, right. I mean, it's, 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 it makes sense, but it's loose. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's got a great sense of time, but he, because he was playing by himself, he wasn't like strictly. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and then, you know, we kind of finished up, but the nights that I wasn't there were the nights that um, I didn't, I don't know, you know, I can't even remember what they were, but there are a couple of tunes on there that I didn't play on. 
as a result. Right. But yeah, um, a, I think uh, Johnny T may have played drums on Kiss Before I Go on the he record. He did. He did. I'm not mistaken. That was a that, But here's the deal, though. I left we to finished, go on finished, Christmas. We finished that first that first run, and three weeks later, I ran into him at a club in the city. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I need to do some more recording for the record. And I said, well, I can come down. And that's when Johnny T was there. because you yeah. were, And I think uh, Kiss Before I Go, that might have been the only thing that we did that second. You know, there were like yeah. three more three more nights. But I think most of that stuff didn't have drums on it, with the exception of a Kiss Before I Go. The engine turned on a dime but I ain't going nowhere tonight I ain't been going nowhere for quite a while Can't tell the truth in a house of lies Can't explain what I don't know One shot, one beer and a kiss before And then right, I mean, almost immediately after that, I get a call from Ryan's management saying, Cindy's left the band and want to sound you out about joining the band. I said, yeah, I'd love to. And he said, well, just kind of kind of hang there for a minute. I'm going to I'm going to call Ryan and discuss, you know, the whole situation with him and we'll get back to you. And like. Eight minutes later, the phone rings and it's Ryan, like totally like ignoring the management's advice to stay out of the loop for for a moment or two, and that was the deal. I was in the band. Was that late two thousand four? Yeah, it was right around Christmas because that's right around right Christmas time. Because well, we the I ended, up doing, I ended up redoing the recording was that Cindy had Cash Dollar had some previous commitments and she couldn't do those Morrison gig or something. So she was still officially in the band when I did Jacksonville. <laughs> recordings but then she just she left before the next run of anything yeah that's smartest I, one. what's that <laughs> she was the smartest one <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you need to get into that but uh, uh, it I'm i don't sure. know if we have enough time um, <laughs> i uh i remember neil was staying at my apartment in the summer of 2005 i lived in chelsea and he was out somewhere on the lower east side and he ran into ryan and Ryan said, "Oh man, I've actually been looking for you because I want to. I want to see if you want to join my band." Right. And later that night, he came and met Neil and I at Brownies, the legendary uh, where where was it? Avenue Avenue A Avenue A, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, basically, talked our ears off for a few hours, and Neil was in the band. Yeah. Um, and I think for one of the first things that happened was that Willie Nelson record. I mean, there was a couple of gigs, but I think we had that. There was some benefit we did that we did like. Well, we did Austin City Limits. Oh, Nils no, was, there was, there was that one thing. That, there was that one gig at like Irving Plaza or something like that it was a benefit for something. And we only had to play like five songs or something like that. Yeah. And Neil didn't know any of the tunes, but he was he was there. Well, I don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I was there, but no recollection. Yeah, well, you were, you were definitely there. I can get, I can, I can assure <laughs> yeah, you. I think, yeah, and he only had like two weeks or, or so, if I recall, from when he got hired to Austin City Limits. Right. You know, fucking national TV shows, his first gig. And it's, you know, it's not one song. It's a whole, you know, set. 
Yeah. Well, know? more than a set. Yeah, well, just worried about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I got a call from Ryan one night. This was around the time that you know Gary were Neil was staying at your place, and he'd run into Ryan, and Ryan said, "Hey, can you come by the house, uh, the apartment?" And I went, "Yeah." And I came there, and it was me and Ryan and Cat. And Neil showed up and said, we just want to sit around and shoot the shit and maybe play a little bit. So we were just sitting around with acoustic guitars and stuff. And I had met Neil briefly, and I knew who he was, but we had never really had any kind of conversation or anything. And there was a, you know, there was a moment where we were, I was, I had a guitar and I was riffing on something and I just kind of repeated it and I repeated it and repeated it. And then all of a sudden, Neil just jumps in with a harmony to that part. And just repeats it and repeats it. And we, we kind of locked eyes. And for, from that moment on, we were like, we were in with each other. Absolutely. Pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty like with Brad, it was a pretty immediate connect, you know. Connection. Yeah, it was, it was, he brought so much to that band when he joined. I mean, it just fucking elevated it, you know. Yeah, just, you know, and it was, it was a good almost, band already, but it, it was, became a great band when he joined. No, totally. really and, and, and his ability to, kind of retreat to strictly support guy was one of the things that always amazed me about that guy, considering how many solo records he's had and had so much, right. such a long solo career to just become that other guy yeah. and be so good at it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And the singing. Good God. God he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's what one of the, the things that he really brought to that band was his harmony singing with Ryan. He just had an instinct on how to match him. Yes. No. Well, he he had that instinct with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he sang backup vocals on so many people's records because he could do that. Yeah. So well. And, and yeah. also guitar wise, he never stepped on on Ryan. He let Ryan do his thing, and Neil Shunt was yeah. shy. He needed yeah. to. Yeah. But didn't he didn't step on him? And I I, I think the same in the studio as well. Well, sure. But, yeah. You know, he, he really knew he he had been around the block enough times to know when it was time to like let the star be the star. Yeah. And not and not try to compete with that. Yeah. He's a smart guy in that re, in, in that regard. Yeah, and, and I thought you guys were such a great band, uh, you know, by like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. That was phenomenal live band. And that's when well, oh six is when Chris Feinstein joined. Yeah. yeah. And and that just took it to a more a different level as well, you know. No, it was amazing. I mean, yeah. well, you know, they were, when we were doing that Jim Wigmore record at the Capitol Tower in Los Angeles, Joe Ciccarelli was the engineer and uh, Mike Elizondo was the producer on it. And they even commented on the way Brad, Brad and Chris played together. Yeah. They said, you know, I think, I think the term they used, there wasn't any air between the bass note and the kick drum. I mean, it was just like yeah. so totally locked in. They even commented on it. He made me sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. Uh, but, but it was all, you know, I got, got to get my brother in the band, you know, playing two bands with, with my best friend, you know, I was like, fuck, this is awesome, you know. And we got to, you know, and Chris was, I remember when, you know, he was offered the gig, he initially declined it. And I was like, you know, and he was, he had been working, he's, you know, doing some producing stuff and some other stuff, but, you know, money was tight. And uh, I was like, look, man, just take the gig. It's six weeks. It's all in Europe, you know. Well, I don't think all of it. The first thing was in California. 
We did uh, uh, so when Chris split split Ryan's head open with the headstock of his <laughs> house of blues or something like that. And then uh, and then we did Henry Rollins show, right. and then we went to Europe for like five weeks. Well, if you watch that, you know the Henry Rollins. Oh, God, thing, he did the gig. Yeah, but if you watch that Henry Rollins thing on YouTube or something like that, considering how briefly he had been in the band sure. yeah. and how good the band sounded, yeah. it's kind of astounding. He was a great really musician. He really was. Yeah. As was yeah, that, was a, that was a really special band. Uh, I remember the Halloween gig, Hammerstein Ballroom, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2007. That was an amazing amazing night a couple shows i think there were there's the apollo gig too and oh halloween 08 i think so yeah. three nights and i think we repeated one song or two songs oh that was town nights. hall it was town hall for, oh no the apollo was yeah it was just apollo was just the one that, right, was, right. Right. that yeah. was so cool yeah, yeah. 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 Touch, touch the stump yes <laughs> do you have any uh, particular memories of neil in the studio recording any of those albums well, my most vivid memory of, of Neil in the studio, the one that really stands out is, to me, was when he was teaching Willie Nelson how to sing, um, oh shoot, what song was it? The the, the Dead song, the, the Garcia tune. Was it Stella Blue? Stella Blue, yeah. Yeah, Stella Blue. Yeah, and Neil, Neil's sitting at the piano with Willie sitting next to him on the, on the bench, teaching him the song. Mm-hmm. And I think even Neil said it was one of his most surreal moments. In his, in his life, you know. In the end, there's just a song. Come, crying up night. Through all the road dreams. Stella Blue Stella Blue Sitting there with the man on the you know, yeah. both of them on the piano bench teaching them how to sing, sing Stella Blue. Yeah, and thank God Neil was there when we were tracking because Catherine wasn't. There was no bass. No bass. So it's me and Willie. And me. And you, and you're playing Steel. And right. Ryan, so me, Neil's the only other. Yeah, Ryan tracked with us yeah. on the floor on a couple of tunes, but not everything. So it was, it was pretty, it was kind of pretty hard to imagine what it was going to sound like in the end, you know? And, you know, they ended up bringing Catherine in after the fact, to, to, yeah. after we recorded everything in, in overdub yeah. while they were mixing, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Something, you know, to, totally weird, <laughs> weird way of working. Remember anything about Easy Tiger Cardinology? Man, know? that was, God, how long, like, he had booked out the B room <laughs> Electric Lady for, like, locked out half a year, maybe? Probably yeah. something like that. At least, we, what at least we, four, three or four months. For I think eight. we recorded, what, what was the final count? Like 98 songs are recorded? Something like that, yeah. Something like crazy. And, you know, and that's, and some of it was, you know, the one thing that Ryan and I just did, he and I, the uh, Hillbilly Joel record. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the 22nd Country songs. Yeah, oh and yeah. We just start with a title. Oh and yeah. We just, we just hit it. And 
And you know, all right, sure. You know, why not? You know, I'll I'll, I'll play along. Neil Neil is just you know he was just in it, man. He was just like, and we all were. It was like fully committed, you know. And we were just we blew through him. Well, here's a good example. Um, uh, what's the first? Uh, the what was the single on that record? Um, on which record? Two. On uh, Easy Tiger Two. Two. Yeah. We had played the the track that was released as a single was the first and only song, time we actually ever played that song all the way through. If you take me back back to your place, I'll try not to bother you. I promise. Cause it's cold and weak And I wish it was hard The sink's broken, it's leaking from the faucet And I'm fractured from the fall And I wanna go home It takes two when it used to take one Because the way we, the way these these recording sessions with him used to go, more often than not, he would start playing, and we'd play, we'd start playing along, and it would fall apart in the middle of the song, and we were always recording on tape, so it'd be like the, the time it took to re-rack the tape, and hit record again. And then we'd start playing, and almost probably eighty percent of the songs we recorded, that was the take. And then we just move on to another song. Yeah. And I remember when we did two, and I they said that um, I had to. I was we were so uh, spontaneously in the moment that I had to re, I had to relearn my part because I couldn't remember what I played because I was just like, okay, we did that, we're moving on. Oh, it's a single. We're going to be playing it on TV. I better learn the part again. And, and those songs. From the time we recorded them to some of that TV stuff we did, Letterman and some of the other AOL thing we did. Right. Man, those songs were completely different beasts. I mean, they were road road tested by then, you know. Right. I'm like, ah, there's a, what is the song? Uh, it's a Letterman performance we did. Neil had on the, uh, I think Ryan called him the mayor of Mobile. <laughs> he had like, like straw boater hat sort of oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a boater hat, but like something yeah, like, like, like a like straw that. hat, yeah, straw hat, and uh, and some buttons like he had some buttons on his vest or on his jacket, if I believe. Anyway, yeah. what that song, uh, everybody knows. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty delicate song on the record, and it just became this, you know, ferocious thing, yeah. Please welcome back to the program the great Ryan Adams and the Cardinals.
things I really liked about the band was that the records were one medium, live performance was a totally different thing, and they don't necessarily have to have anything to do with each other, which is kind of right. fun. It's like, yeah. if you want to hear the record, then listen to the record. Mm -hmm. If you want to listen to that version, it's on, it's it's pressed and it's on CD and vinyl and stuff, go listen to it. If you want to hear something different, you want to hear different interpretations, see the live band, and that was kind of fun. That was kind of great. Kept it yeah. fresh. Right after, I mean, I guess Chris was in the band, around that time then we did the blue uh the blue tour you know there was the red set blue set red set was a rock set right right blue was the blue was with, ja with jamie playing piano right and we're all seated had that little cocktail kit right uh yeah. and man that that's where like neil like where it just like so obvious his talent is because his singing his guitar playing because ryan remember it fucked up his wrist Right. skateboarding and yeah yeah you know, he, he could only sing he couldn't play and so neil and yourself were, were covering those parts when we were on the road i'd you know i'd for some reason i'd wake up in the middle of the night to take a leak or something like that and i go into the back lounge and i'd see i'd find feinstein sitting there and he had the um that saint luke's bbc thing he was watching it which mm. is when ryan was just singing and also the thing that's amazing about that, as you might remember, Brad, was that BBC thing was, I think, the second or third gig we did in that format. I mean, yep. it was not, we were not over-rehearsed, not, hadn't played that stuff that much. And I remember Chris sitting there going, he looked up at me, I, I looked at the thing, saw what he was watching, and he, he looked at me and goes, world-class, man, world-class. Yeah. <laughs> and as I said, you know, it's because it was, it was like, we would play Paris, right before that and i'm not sure we even did anything before that a year or two ago i i heard a bootleg recording of that paris show i was like i, I couldn't believe it was us 
It was like frog alt country or something. <laughs> there was a, uh, I can't remember what song it was, but there was some we had, you know, or he had developed this whole like little instrumental break. Uh, everybody, had the little parts bounced around between you guys. Yeah, it's buried. I, it's buried. But but anyway, I, I was like, man, this I, I unreal. Yeah, yeah, that was a damn good show. You know? I feel like if that band had stayed together, it would have been. Uh, yeah, man. Would have been like festival headliner kind of band. Sure. By, 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 the, by the way, I wanted to add one thing that was both an experience that, that I had that was shared with both Neil and Chris when they both joined the band. They both called me up in a complete panic and said, "There's so many songs, man. I don't even know where to start." <laughs> and I, and I said, I and I, I made a list and I said, "These are the ones where we're probably going to always play. This is a section where." We'll play pretty often. These ones might come in every now and then. And I said, but listen, don't worry about arrangement. Just, just the one, the two things that don't change is the is the key of the song and the basic verse, chorus, bridge yeah. structure. Everything else is is not worth learning because it's not going to be there when you get yeah. on stage. Yeah. And I remember Neil saying to me later on, said that was one of the most helpful pieces of advice you know, he had gotten. Because it was just overwhelming. Because when I joined the band, I met up with him at a restaurant, and he we, to sit down and talk about how what tunes he was planning on doing before the first rehearsal. And there were like fifty songs. Yeah. So I go home and I'm trying to cram as much stuff as humanly possible. I walk into the first rehearsal at Big Mike's, and there's a big piece of poster board with all these songs on it. And there were only three songs that were on that list that were on the list he gave me. So that's that's what it was like joining that band. And both Chris and Neil had moments of freak out. And I just yeah. said, dude, don't worry. You're both great musicians. You'll catch on. Well, a lot like Neil, Chris had about two weeks notice to learn all those songs, too. And I mean, you know, Neil would just, or yourself, would, you know, Neil would sort of like turn is sort of back to the audience and like, you know, throw numbers at Chris, you know, right. The number system, you know, so yeah. you know, Chris be like, okay. And he's discreet about it. Cool about it. One, like he was, you know, just like throwing the numbers and Chris, like, okay, got and it. Chris was such a good musician. And he pulled the classic bass player trick of just playing a hair behind the beat. Just, yeah. long enough, just, just long enough to hear what the chord chain was. And he would just jump right on it. So it didn't sound it's a, it just sounded like he was playing way back. Yeah. It didn't yeah. sound like he didn't know the song, which he didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I, I remember when the band broke up, um, I think was it right after that Atlanta gig? Was that when was it when Ryan and Mandy Moore got married? Yeah. It was on that last tour leg, yeah. Yeah. There in Savannah. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember that was a, that Neil. Neil was bummed out because I think he, you know, Neil was the kind of guy that when he got in a band, he was yeah. in. He yeah. was. In. He, he was wasn't looking, wasn't looking for another opportunity to step off. And no, do he, was, he was totally invested. He really yeah, was. He was yeah. No, it, I remember. You know, the funny thing about that was, you know, we all found out that the band was breaking up on the internet. And uh, the, but the but the crazy thing about that, we still had six weeks of touring to do. Yeah, which was going to create a certain interesting vibe on tour, you know. And the first thing we had to do after we we all learned about this was we were flying to Australia, 
And I remember we all flew in from different places and we're all at the LAX, I think, to fly overseas. And Neil sits down next to Ryan and goes, you know, I understand why a lot of bands break up. You know, somebody's sleeping with somebody's girlfriend or or something like that. I don't get this one, you know. Yeah, yeah we all it just seemed like you guys never, were, never got a satisfactory response, of course. But yeah, I mean, it seemed like you were about to go to such a huge level. That was the thing because that's, that's, the band probably, was, that's probably it in a nutshell. Probably he, he, whatever, I, it just derailed himself from that, or he didn't, you know, he just wanted to do his own thing or whatever. I, who knows? I don't, I certainly don't know anything about what he was thinking, but I do just remember that it was sad because there wasn't a great band like that i thought like there was a great guitar band too yeah remember when we did that european thing when after chris joined the band we were heralded as the number one live rock band by the german version of rolling stone magazine yeah for what what that's worth but i mean you're right i mean it was a great live band yeah 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 it was a band you know three three hour or plus shows you know, I think we did close to four one night. Yeah. What was it? What was that one night, Brad? Where we? Uh, I think we played twenty-one songs in a row without stopping, just segued from one to another. Yeah, you know, we, were always, we were always, we were always trying to tick that number up. You know, see how many two. Yeah. We could kind of get through. I think there was one night. It was like twenty-one songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it lives on in in the recordings and the live shows, and it's a it's a bummer that it that it never went further. I know Neil. It's, Neil had a few conversations with Ryan over the years where they somewhat bandied about the idea of doing it again. Um, obviously, that'll never happen now, but yeah. it would have been interesting to see. But whatever. Chris was gone. Now Neil's gone. So Yeah. 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 For the last ones, John. I know. Stay healthy, yeah. will you? Yeah, <laughs> the last in line. Uh, we'll just move it. A we'll, uh, few quick thoughts on the Highway Butterfly tribute album. So, John, you're on 17 songs on that album out of 41. And you basically <laughs> came to uh, pre-COVID, February and March of 2020, we were all camped out at Jim Scott's studio in Santa Clarita, California, mm-hmm. bringing various artists. And you were in the backing band on a lot of a lot of the really great songs on the record. So any, uh, any sweet memories you want to share from that? You know... <sighs> That's that's kind of hard to talk about because I think um, everybody came into that project, especially when we were doing the stuff at gyms where everybody was together pre-COVID. Everybody was so focused on trying to do justice to the material. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of like, because there was also the, the basic concept was somebody would come in, we'd record the song and finish it by the end of the day. Soup to nuts. That was the goal. So we were all, you know, pretty focused on getting the job done, doing well by it. But also one of the paramount concerns for all of us, we even talked about it at the time, is let's not try to just regurgitate his version. Let's try to bring something different to the tale, a slightly different interpretation to the, the song. So it just doesn't sound like we're just copying his stuff. And in a lot of cases, we ended up just stripping back a lot of stuff and just letting the songs stand more on its own than adding a whole lot of filigree and, and stuff like that. But also, you know, the fact that that first couple of days with, you know, me and uh, Don Heffington and Bob Glaub, you know, that's it's always special. It was always special being in the room with those two guys. Now Don's gone. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, every time I think of those, you know, a lot of times when I think of those sessions, I think immediately of Don. And now yeah. he's gone. Yeah. And uh, but also, you know, the fact that I did a lot of, uh, when COVID hit, I ended up con contributing a lot of tracks that I he I did here at home. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, is which is yeah. kind of interesting to do, you know, inside in isolation. Once we had gone from that, everybody in in you know, you know, moshing together in the in the studio to all of a sudden just being by yourself and seeing what you, what you can add. Because Jim would call and say, hey, man, I got a track. I need I need a couple of things. Let me send it to you to let me know what you think. And, you know, just it would always be just a couple of things that I'd just drop in to kind of help string it all together. I can't wait to hear it. You haven't heard it. I have oh. not heard it. I'm going to send you a link as soon as we're done with this. Please, please. Uh, set, no, a, set aside no. some time, Brad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three hours and 17 minutes, Brad. Whoa. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's also, it's, it's a heavy listen, too, you know? It's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what's really amazing about it for me is so many of the songs that are on it, I heard when Neil first wrote them, you know, years ago, or I'd heard a four-track version, or I'd heard him sitting in the room going, uh, check this one out. And for years, we always thought with Neil, like, wow, we've got to get people to cover your songs. The songs are so good. And we Really, it just didn't happen that often. And finally, we hear his songs in other people's hands and see how they were interpreted. Just shows you what great songs they are. I think people will be blown away when they hear all of them. Well, the, other thing I, the other thing that I really enjoyed about those sessions was, um, what was the song that, uh, what's it, um, <laughs> man, I'm just like, uh, oh, Jamie, the Jamie Wyatt track. Oh, I uh, Need Shelter. Need shelter. Well, I had recorded that with Neil on his on his record, yeah. and we had, you know, you and I had taken gotten a lot of stuff from his house and brought it up to Jim's for for safekeeping, and there was a nylon string guitar lying there, and you told me that, oh yeah, that's you know that's a song that Neil wrote Need Shelter on. Yeah. So I picked it up, and we came up with a completely different version with Jamie Wyatt singing and then, you know, totally different than the record thing. But the great thing was that I was using the guitar. He wrote it, wrote the song on. That's cool, man. Yeah, that was, that was pretty, that was pretty sweet. Chance on a 
what, so the title song is Highway Butterfly, and that's the song that Steve Earle and the Dukes did. Any uh, stories about the recording of that, Brad? Well, it was during COVID as well, obviously. And uh, so Steve came into town. We did it over at Sound Emporium, which is just a mile from my house. And Jeff came in, stayed here, and did it that day. It was, it was, you know, it was just sort of a weird, heavy vibe about it. You know, it was just, yeah. And and you know, Steve knew Neil, but obviously not as well as Jeff and I did. You know, yeah. yeah. And it was just, it was heavy, man, because it was. I mean, fuck, it's still heavy. You know, yeah. But it's it's. Uh, I can't wait to hear it too because I haven't I haven't heard it either. So yeah. since we got it, and at the time the Mastersons and Ricky, Eleanor, Chris, and Ricky hadn't added their their stuff yet. You know, so yeah. anxious to hear it. song highway butterfly the day that towns van zandt died which i believe was uh new year's day in 1997 mm-hmm. and neil had seen him play a few months before that at the bottom line in new york and it really had affected him because he was a huge towns fan and that gig at the bottom line was uh, a little scary from what neil told me just because towns was in really bad shape but there was still that magic was still there, even if he was not at his best. Yeah. And Neil wrote that song about Town Van Zandt. And so when we did the tribute concert after Neil died, I just thought, wow, if Steve Earle would sing that song, it would really have a impact because he was, yeah. of course, pals with Towns Van Zandt. So yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that worked out. And I'm thankful Me to too. that he did that. Yeah, man. That's, it's, it was very cool of him to do that. Very yeah. cool of everybody. That participate on the record, man. It's yeah, it's just it's just a shame. It's just a shame that COVID hit because we were really on a roll up at Jim's place. You know, yeah. we were bringing people, everybody in, and the vibe was so great, and everybody was you know getting it done and coming up with really good results. And then COVID hit, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's somebody's doing something over there, and somebody's doing something, somebody's adding something from another part of the world. And I mean, it all came out great, of course, but it would have been. Really, really nice if it if we had been able to do it's like our original plan, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the original plan was rather than a where you see all these tribute albums or various artists albums where everybody is scattered all over the place sending in their recordings and then mushing it all together, which has resulted in lots of great albums that way. But what I thought was like, how do we do a how do we we had such a community feeling at the tribute oh. concert. 
that we'd made to Neil. And it was so much fun to be with everybody and have all these memories in one place that I thought, well, let's do it at Jim Scott's studio in California, which is a place that Neil loved to be, loved to work. He'd worked with Jim from, you know, the early 90s until he passed away. And so that's obviously the place to do it. Plus, it's such an amazing studio and it's enormous. So there's so much room to hang out and have dinners and have fun and record and and so that it was going so great because we were having these core backing bands and then bringing in the artists. And like John said earlier, we're going to get done with this track today. Yeah, maybe we'll put a harmony vocal on it two weeks from now, but we're going to finish it today as much as we can. And most of the harmony vocals were done that day. Done that day, yeah. yeah. And so, so there, was there going- people around who could sing their asses off. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. run out there and work up a quick back- backup vocal arrangement and let's record it. Yeah, and so we, we finished... I believe it was 16 songs before COVID shut us down. And we waited a couple months and we started uh, letting people record in their own world, whether it was at a studio or at home. or And then, like John mentioned, we were sending tapes around like, hey, John, can you put a, a guitar on this song that so-and-so recorded in Tennessee? Yeah. And, so, and, and, and when I think when you hear the record, though, there's you don't feel that at all. It feels like we're it's, pretty, all- it's pretty cohesive. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. They all did a good job doing that. Yeah. Sequencing must have been a nightmare. <laughs> uh, Was that know? you, Gary? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I sequenced it. I I, uh, I I feel like nobody else wanted to tackle it. So I just did. And uh, <laughs> I like the way it turned out. I bet Neil would have a qualm or two. Uh, Neil, Neil really liked sequencing records. Like we, we used to love that in the early days. Yeah, of man. Making Neil's records, we yeah. would battle it out over the sequences. It was well, any, anybody who's ever done that knows you can make or break a record with sequencing. Yeah, you can completely destroy a great record with bad sequencing. Yeah, and it's so this it's it's a it's a heavy responsibility. And if you get it wrong, it's you, it's going to be wrong forever, you know. <laughs> well, the other the other thing too is it's like when you have forty one songs to sequence. Yeah, I don't look, I don't look at it like, you know, on a ten song record, you might think, all right, we got to get the singles up front, or we've got to get the four best ones right there at the beginning. On this, I couldn't even think that way because the songs that are number thirty six through forty one, those are really important songs too um because they're at the end doesn't mean they're less important than the ones at the beginning so it was more just what went well together you know i listen back to it and go ah there's a few things i would change here and there but i i think there's very few people who are going to listen from beginning to end in one sitting at three hours and 17 minutes but hopefully you can put it on at any point and enjoy it from where you listen to it yeah. Well, Gary, I got one other question about that sequencing. Were you doing different sequencing? Because, uh, you know, because the thing was going to be vinyl, and everybody knows that sequencing on vinyl is a, is a yeah. different animal than doing it for digital content because you you don't want loud songs by the label, you know, closer in because the, yeah. you know, the tracks get scrunched and you get distortion and stuff like that. <coughs> um, so there's no difference in sequencing from one medium to, to another, right? Uh, there's not. Um, I think the CDs are a little bit different because of the break. There's three CDs, so obviously. Oh, okay. But right. on the vinyl, 
Or like if you look at the vinyl cutoffs, like what's song one through four on side one or song one through five on side two, you'll usually find that the last song on each side is a quieter song sure. um, for the audio quality. And hopefully people will dig it. I hope so. Absolutely. We'll see. Well, it would be, be a giant waste of time if they don't like it. <laughs> and a good cause. As well. yeah, 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 for sure. And it is a good cause, and we've actually been able to give away some instruments, and we've donated some money to musicians uh, for mental health care and physical health care, and we're going to continue doing that. That's great. Uh, by the way, I also wanted to mention, besides using that nylon string guitar, we had a lot of Neil's instruments at Jim's studio, which got heavily used, which was also a nice thing. Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. It was just magical, I think. Like, from the tribute show to the recording sessions it's it's been amazing and uh i think neil would just be like what the hell are you guys doing <laughs> he would think this is he would think this is a little over the top but i know that he would also be proud because he was proud of the songs that he wrote and sure. for, that, for them to have a continued life would absolutely would but he was self-deprecating enough to go what are you guys nuts yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, he would he would most likely think it was nuts. And then he would dig in and be like, Oh, maybe if we did then he would start he'd start <laughs> getting his fingers in it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, sure. And it's a testament to him, man, of how many people he touched and influenced, you know, like Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's pretty remarkable because obviously it was not a household name. But in the world, like we were talking about, the small world of musicians and the world that we've all been in. And the other other thing that that was a shame, the the other kind of fallout from COVID, was there a couple of people who wanted to be involved who were in places that they just couldn't get a decent recording? Like Iris DeMent really wanted to be involved, but where she is and for for a number of different reasons, we couldn't get something that was going to be as you know, we were saying about recording in different places, we weren't going to be able to get something that was going to fit cohesively sonically into the record, and it kind of fell by the wayside, which is a shame. Right. And it was just all due to COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, we still, uh, I think we hit it out of the park, so hopefully yeah. people will dig it. I think oh. so. Yeah. All right, you guys. Thanks so much. Sure. Thanks Good to see you. Good to see you both. Thanks for the yeah, trip down memory lane. Yeah, man. <laughs> Anytime. Love you guys. Love you too. Bye. Bye. See ya. This podcast is brought to you by Backline, the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub. Launched in 2019, Backline gives artists, crews, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline provides individuals with case management and offers virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breath work. To donate, learn more, or get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. That's B-A-C-K-L-I-N-E dot C-A-R-E. Thanks for listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Casal. Tune in next week to hear more from the artists who made this tribute album a reality. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Casal is out on November 12th. All album net proceeds go to the Neil Casal Music Foundation. You can pre-order the album and learn more at neilcasalmusicfoundation.org.
Osiris. <laughs> 